Good morning. My name is John Thorpe. I'm the minister here at Shell Harbour City Anglican, and welcome to our first Sunday morning podcast. It's not quite the same as coming together in one room, but these are the days that God has given us, and we're going to continue to work hard to honour God in them. Paul says in the book of Romans in chapter 12, starting at verse 10, Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. How we do these things is certainly going to change for the next couple of months. But who we are in Christ doesn't change and our purpose doesn't change. We're just going to have to work out different ways to love one another and serve the Lord and practice hospitality. This is our first podcast, so we can try and keep it pretty simple. In a moment, Beth Lavers will lead us in a time of prayer. Pamela Rouse will read our passage for the day, which is Titus 2, and then Mark Grieve will spend some time reflecting on the passage. On our Facebook page, we'll also have some links to Christian music, and we have some of the videos from what was going to be Our Lady's High Tea, and some of our members sharing who Jesus is to them. Finally, there'll be an opportunity to come together after the podcast on Facebook. You might want to comment on something that you found helpful or challenging from Mark's talk. You might want to say something positive about the music or the videos. Whatever your comments, keep it positive and encouraging. The next voice you will hear will be Beth, who will lead us in a time of prayer. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. Let every creature praise his holy name forever. Father God, we come to you in prayer, praising you for who you are. We thank you for your goodness, your grace, your kindness and compassion. We praise you that you are our all-knowing, all-powerful and all-loving God. In these anxious times, we know you are good and that you care for us. Today, please let us hold firmly to your promises. For surely your goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives. Lord God, we ask your forgiveness for the ways in which we've sinned against you, for the times we've been selfish and thoughtless, and for the times we have not trusted in you. Please help us to turn back to you and to seek you at all times. Please forgive us for failing to live up to who you have called us to be and for failing to be salt and light in this world. We thank you that you do forgive us because of Jesus' death and resurrection. By your Holy Spirit, enable us to live for you and to honour you more and more. Amen. Lord, we thank you for the many ways you have cared for us and for the ways you have sustained us every day. Thank you that amidst the many fears and uncertainties of the COVID-19 pandemic, you are unchanging and you are good. We thank you that in a time of great turmoil, you have given us each other and through technology and other means, we can continue to fellowship and to care for each other's needs. We pray for those in need in our church. God of grace, power and mercy, look on your servants with compassion in this their time of need. Give them courage and complete confidence in your protection and keep them in your peace. At this time, we pray particularly for those in our church family who are elderly, disabled or otherwise disadvantaged and are vulnerable in the COVID-19 crisis. Please help us to be generous in showing special thought and care for these people so they do not suffer. Amen. We think of our church family and particularly bring before you Linda Pill, Veronica Presland, Jude and Dylan Ratcliffe, and Eve and Larry Reese. 
May the Lord make their love increase for each other and for everyone else. May he strengthen their hearts so that they will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with his holy ones. Amen. Lord, we pray for our ministries, for our staff and their families, for our parish council and wardens, and for our maintenance ministry. Ministry looks really different for our church at the moment, and we pray that you will help those who minister in our church to be able to learn and adapt quickly to an ever-changing environment and be able to figure out how to do ministry safely and well so that every member of our congregations is able to still feel connected to our church family, able to hear your word preached and participate in fellowship, even if that fellowship looks different for a while. We pray these same things for our local mission partners, Anglican Deaconess Ministries, Moore College and Youth Works College. We pray that these institutions would be able to figure out how to continue training the next generation of ministry workers in a safe way. Amen. Father, it would be impossible to come before you in prayer and not plead with you for our community, nation and world. Lord, the times we are living in are frightening for many. When we are anxious, please help us to turn to you in prayer and to place our trust in you. We ask that you would protect your people and give us wisdom in responding to the COVID-19 pandemic. Please be with our doctors, nurses and scientists, treating patients and searching for a cure and vaccine. Please keep them healthy and supply all their needs as they care for increasing numbers of sick in our hospital, our hospitals. Please also be with our leaders, particularly our Prime Minister Scott Morrison. Please give him wisdom and patience as he makes decisions for our country and attempts to reassure the people of Australia. We thank you that in all things you are sovereign and you are bigger than any challenge we might face. Please help us to keep this truth in the front of our minds when our worry threatens to overwhelm us. Our Lord God, we thank and praise you again for your unfailing love. Please help us to know your presence and peace in the weeks and months ahead. We bring all of our prayers and requests to you, trusting that you hear us. In Jesus' name, amen. And let's pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. Pamela Rouse is now going to read the Bible. It'd be good to make sure you have a Bible open so you can follow along during the sermon. If you don't have a Bible in front of you, then why don't you hit pause, go and grab one, and then rejoin us. Titus 2. You, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled and sound in faith, in love and in endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, 
seriousness and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted, so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Saviour attractive. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. These then are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. Well, hello, my name is Mark Greve. Thank you for tuning in for the sermon this week. I will be speaking on Titus 2 in our Titus series. And uh, I just want you to uh, maybe read the passage before I get stuck into it. So it's Titus chapter 2 from verse 1 to 15. And I'm going to begin now. Being a teacher, if there's one thing I'm familiar with, it's rules. Uh, Part of my role as a year nine dean is to ensure that students are following the school rules. Now I wonder what rules you hated most at school, because I can tell you what rules are hated most today. Firstly, no phones. You know in our day if kids were standing in a circle looking guilty, it was probably a cigarette they were hiding? Well today it's a cell phone, they just can't seem to be without them for the period of the day. Secondly, no public displays of affections, or PDAs as they are known. We should be banned everywhere. They certainly are no-go zone at school, especially in our current climate. Number three, tucking in your shirts. I know that boys have a notorious problem with getting their shirts tucked in. Uh, Number four, the whole class being punished for one or two students' bad behaviour. No one likes that one, but as teachers we still do it. Number five, a sweetless canteen. No chips, no chocolate, no fizzy drinks. And number six, general appearance. Now being a private school, we are quite strict here. Uh, Hair out of the eyes and off the shoulders and tied back for girls. The dress has to be below the knee. There's no makeup, fake tans, eyelash extensions, bracelets, necklaces, earrings. Uh, You know now how I spend most of my days trying to police that. But it's not just kids that have a problem with rules. We all do. Almost daily I break the council rules of running my dog on the beach, not to mention the speed limit when I'm on my motorbike. So when we get to a passage like this, God's word can feel like a bit of a slog. Oh great, I hear you say, more rules. And deep down, our sinful nature starts to rebel. Given that they're in the Bible, there can be also this sense that Uh, These are more guidelines than rules. I'm saved by faith after all, so these are more helpful recommendations than anything too dogmatic. Well, you don't get that impression from this letter um, and from this chapter. Paul starts off by saying, you must teach what is in accordance with sound doctrine. There's a sense of urgency and importance here. Furthermore, Paul tells Titus to encourage and rebuke with all authority. And in verse 14, he says that it's actually the reason for the redemption that Jesus has won for us. Uh, That is purity. 
And so rather than being just some helpful guide for life, this behaviour and character development is at the very heart of the reason why God sent Jesus to redeem us. So let's have a look at these laws and who they are addressed to. Um, the old is firstly in verse uh, 2. Older men, be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled and sound in faith, in love and endurance. Now I've been watching a bit of The Simpsons lately and it's fair to say that Homer is the complete opposite of what Paul is describing here. So we know what a bad example looks like, but what does a good example look like for older men? Well, they're not into excess. That's what the word temperate means. Uh, it means to show moderation and self-restraint, whether that's alcohol or work or money or gambling, TV and internet use. They prioritise what's important, giving their time and their money and energy into people, into church, into their communities and their families. And so they gain the respect of those around them who are the recipient of their love. And they're wise too, having been tested through the years they have developed endurance and a sense of perspective. You won't see them running out and grabbing toilet paper like their life depends on it. No, there is a soundness and a dependability about their words and their actions. And I think if we are an older men in church, then Paul is saying we have a responsibility to lead our churches and our families and our society. We have much to offer our younger church congregants. In verse 3, likewise, older women are to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Now, reverent here means feeling or showing deep and solemn respect. The opposite would be bitterness and slanderous. And I think you can go one or two ways as you get older. You can grow in grace and love as you draw nearer to Christ and his teachings, or you can grow bitter and resentful. Uh, we probably can think of examples of both types. And like the older men, temperance is suggested as well, specifically with wine, which we know from chapter 1 verse 12 was a particular issue on Crete. So they have a role in mentoring the younger women, which we turn to now in verse 4, we're told younger women are to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind and to be subject to their husbands. Young women are told to focus their attention on the home and their relationships, not on themselves. Our movies and songs seem to depict young women nowadays as free from the restraints of family and responsibility. Social media profiles and independence and the freedom to follow the whims and desires of the heart are what is encouraged. I think it's interesting that the little word kindness finds its way in there too. I know the last couple of weeks at school, I have had countless conversations and meetings with female students and their parents because of the horrible things these girls are saying to one another. It's been rightly said that the measure of a person is not in what they earn or how successful they might be, but how kind they are. It's a measuring stick of your maturity and character as a person. So young women value relationships over reputation intimacy over image and purity over pleasure. And in verse 6, the young men are also told to be self-controlled. Uh, in verse 7, he says, In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness and soundness of speech. And I think the general instructions for Titus to show integrity, seriousness and soundness of speech apply particularly to the young men who out of all these groups are the most prone to being larrikins, uh, using inappropriate language and lacking integrity, particularly 
in their relationships. So if the young ladies are called to be kind, then the young men are called to be integrous. We are not to emulate our wayward sportsmen and the masculine society that encourages stupidity and self-abandonment. Rather, we need young men who use their strength to build others up and to do good in this world. Men who have a passion and vision for a world that knows Christ. Men who can see beyond Minecraft and Fortnite and football and women and use their gifts for the kingdom. And once again, notice the importance that role models play for the younger people in the church. So if you're a young person in this in our church, then you should be seeking out the godly and the mature and the kind and the wise. They are a gold mine in any church. And then there's instructions for slaves and masters in verse 9. Obviously, this is unfamiliar to our context. In some ways, we can consider employer and employee relationships. But the point Paul is making here is that obedience, integrity and trust will be so attractive that it will win people to the Lord. You think that attitude is hard as an employer. Imagine what it's like as a slave who was treated like a piece of property, had no rights, no time off, no pay. It would have been revolutionary to start acting this way and showing this sort of work ethic. It would have turned heads and started conversations. It would have led to gospel conversations. So our work is primarily not for money or self-promotion, but for the glory of God and to witness to his goodness. Now, if you noticed as we read through that, that the word self-control appears four times in this passage. So Titus is saying that a key aspect or the key aspect of godly behavior is self-control. And I can see two applications for this. Firstly, our movies and reality TV shows tell us to celebrate throwing caution to the wind and following after our own hearts, whatever it takes or wherever it takes you. You see it around the middle of many films where there's a big night out, usually involving sex and drugs, and the message it reinforces is that life is about letting go, following your heart, giving in to your desires, breaking the rules, anything but self-control. I just watched Frozen 2 on Netflix, and I'm reminded of the first movie where Elsa sings, It's time to see what I can do, to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Well, consider the Mardi Gras last month. Without exception, the event was promoted and then reviewed with unquestionable favour. Words such as freedom, equality, rights, love, inclusivity, acceptance abounded. When in reality, it's a celebration of a particular sexual orientation, namely that we should be free to pursue whatever sexual desire my heart wants. The one group that is not tolerated is the Christian calling for self-control, temperance, and purity. Paul is saying to Titus that to be growing as a Christian is not to abandon all resolve and follow your every desire. It is to recognize that from within comes all evil desires and the heart is deceptive above all else, that we need to master our natural impulses and submit ourselves to God's ways. And the second way that self-control can be applied, I think, is, is simply by not looking to my own needs and acting in accordance with my own desires, but thinking of others. Our empty supermarket shelves are testament that many people are not showing much self-control at this time. We've had our Prime Minister, among others, getting on TV and rebuking the nation like an angry dad, and rightly so. But it's at precisely these times of crisis that character is shown. 
You know, anyone can be kind and caring and generous when all their needs are being met and they've not a worry in the world. But when there is trouble and a crisis and potential hardships, that's when people's true nature is seen. The health of any society is judged on how well they look after the most vulnerable. And so Paul is telling us to show self-control for the sake of your society, for the sake of your family, and particularly as it's a mark of someone who trusts in God. So how do we do that? Well, verse 11 to 15 give us the answer. And it can come down to one word, grace. Have a look at verse 11. It says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. I want to break this into two sections, uh, the no of grace and the yes of grace. So saying no, firstly, when God describes self-control, he doesn't downplay the agony of it. The word for renounce in 2.12 is a severe word. It's the same word Jesus uses when he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. So when we renounce ungodliness, we take something that was once precious to us and we put it to death. Augustine, the great 4th century theologian, had this struggle. He was a prolific womanizer, but the truth of the gospel had come into his heart. And at one stage in his struggle between following Christ or following the flesh, he cried out, Lord, make me pure, but not yet. Uh, well, he was converted and he became one of the great exponents of grace in his time. Or consider C.S. Lewis, uh, the greatest Christian mind of the 20th century. He struggled for 15 years, at one point declaring that he was the most reluctant convert in all of Britain. Now, these are honest testimonies. I think sometimes we feel like there's something wrong with us. We hear testimonies of people leaving their worldly passions and following Christ blissfully. But the reality is, when we begin to resist sin, a battle takes place in our lives. Remember the words God gave to Cain as he wrestled with the desire to harm Abel? He said, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must master it. He describes sin like a wild animal, ready to pounce and devour as soon as we open that door. Sin is a predator, and predators want to kill. They are dangerous. The problem is that we are all too often don't view sin that way. We don't realize a predator awaits at the door of temptation. For many, the wild animal is nothing more than a pussycat. We carry it around with us. We think it's our companion, our friend. It might even be good for us. And the more we accommodate the sin, the more we feed the beast. It gets harder to resist. So what we need to do is starve the beast. And how do we get there? Well, notice that the no is only half how grace trains us. The grace of God also trains us to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age, the rest of verse 12. And I think that's important to realize that Christians are not known simply for what they won't do, but they are known for being passionate about what is right. When we see God's will for us and recognize the joy that comes through serving others and the many ways we can use our gifts to bring redemption to the world, then we can be consumed with a passion for good. I like this quote. It says, The no of self-control becomes possible only as the yes of holiness becomes beautiful. 
Christianity says no to pornography because purity, a barren rule for so long, has begun to burst with life. We say no to gossip because love for neighbour, an annoying ought until now, has finally found a home in our hearts. We say no to the love of money because generosity, a mere nuisance to us before, has breached the walls of selfishness. We say no to sin because Jesus, a dim religious figure for so long, has lit up with startling beauty. Well, let me illustrate this truth with a story from Greek mythology. In Greek mythology, there is a story of a mysterious island that was located in the middle of the sea, an island on which many brave Greek sailors tragically lost their lives. It was inhabited by evil, bloodthirsty monsters called sirens. The way that the sirens used to kill people is that they would disguise themselves as beautiful young women, and then as ships went sailing past, they would stand on the shore of the island, and the sirens would begin to sing. The song was so overwhelmingly seductive that the sailors couldn't resist. They would be drawn to the island, and they would crash against the rocks and die. In one old myth, there is a guy named Ulysses, and he is out on an adventure and knows he has to sail past the island of the sirens. He wants to hear the song, so he comes up with a plan. The men are told to plug their ears with wax so they can't hear, and he tells them to tie him as firmly as they can to the mask. He orders his men to row straight past the island, and whatever I say to you, whatever you do, don't set me free. And as they go past, Ulysses looks over and he sees these women, and it takes his breath away. Then they begin to sing to him the most amazing, compelling song. His heart almost stops, and he tells his men to turn to the island, but they can't hear him. He's pushing against the rope, and he's banging his head, and he's screaming at these men to turn. But no matter. They're good Greek sailors. They know his early advice. Anyways, their ears are blocked, and they keep on going. Finally, out of sight of the island, they untie their captain, who is bruised and bleeding, He's alive, but, and he's resisted the song, but he's not a happy man. Ulysses' strategy for resisting the sirens is similar to the way many of us try to live for Christ. We are drawn to sin. We have no willpower to resist, and so we struggle and fight and bang our heads. We tie ourselves up and we do all we can to resist. We redouble our efforts in religion and ritual, but continue to feel like we are always fighting a losing battle. The siren song is just too compelling. Well, the gospel changes us in another way. See, in Greek mythology, there's another story of a man named Jason and the Agonauts, who also escaped the song of the sirens, but he does it in a completely different way. Instead of waxing the ears and being tied to the mask, he turns to his friend Orpheus. Orpheus is the best musician in the whole land, and Jason tells him to play the lyre with all his heart, when they are passing the island. He does it. And the song is so amazing, it's so beautiful, it fills the ears and thoughts and hearts of the men. It captivates their soul, so that they go straight past the island. And even though the sirens sing at the top of their voice, the sailors don't even care. The music of the siren has no power over their hearts, because they've found a better song. That is the power of grace. A more beautiful tune than that of sin has captured your heart and now compels you to love and follow God and not sin anymore.
See, what is the remedy for sinfulness? How do I become more faithful to God? How can I be self-controlled and pure? We need to fall in love with Jesus. How do I do that? Well, look how Paul does it. Almost every time he refers to Jesus in Scripture, he can't help but run away with the thoughts of what Jesus has done for him. He does it again here in verse 13. While we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Paul meditates on what Jesus has done for him. And it is that love that compels him to live the life of obedience and self-control and purity. So the answer to loving God more and making him the most compelling song in your life is worship. It's to taste and see that the Lord is good. It's to long for his presence. It's to soak in his goodness. And as you do, you will experience the peace and the beauty and the power of that most all-surpassing song that nothing in this world will be able to take away. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you that you so care for us, that you have given us a way of following you that brings you glory and is what is best for us. I pray that we would look upon your law with love and desire, not with resentment or bitterness, that we may seek to apply it into our lives, knowing that your grace has saved us and that you have given us that most beautiful song to fill our hearts and our lives. Make us obedient for your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. That brings us almost to the end of our time together. I hope you found it encouraging. Can I suggest a couple of things to do next? If you are sitting with someone else or with your family, then talk about what you've just heard. What did you find encouraging? What did you find challenging? On the Facebook page, there are also links to songs and some video. Once you've done that, stay on Facebook and add a comment. We might not be able to talk face to face, but we do want to keep a sense of spending time together. So the more the people get involved, the more encouraging it will be. You don't need to say anything long or complicated. Just showing you are present is valuable. Finally, our connect groups are still running. That might change this week, but let's keep meeting for as long as we can as appropriate. And even when we can't meet face-to-face, there are still other ways to stay connected. If you're not in a connect group, then can I encourage you to join one because we all do better with a bit of support and company. The Titus 2 study that aligns with the sermon you just heard is also available on our Facebook page. That's the end of our first podcast. For those who are listening on Sunday morning, I will see you very soon on Facebook. Have a good week. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord.